Tonight we're going to um, look at all things lost. Okay, basically a scripture would kind of show it to us. And the title of my message is um, Until He Finds Them. And I want to start, I want to share a story with you because you guys know I always have stories. Um, so I was 21 and I was in Nashville. Some of you live there, so or have lived there, don't judge me. But I'm in Nashville and I'm driving and all of a sudden I realize, okay, I'm lost. <clears throat> and when it comes to this moment and me telling you this story, my intelligence level in a lot of your minds after this story is going to decrease by great lengths, and I'm prepared for that, and I'm okay with that, okay, so, so I'm in Nashville, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden, it hits me, nothing looks familiar, I'm not sure where I am, and, okay, I'm a little older than some of you, so this is before, like, hey, my iPhone has a GPS, and I could just use it, so uh, I do what every good daughter does, I call my dad, my father, and I'm like, dad, <laughs> I'm lost. And he's like, well, where are you? Well, Dad, I'm lost. <laughs> I know, but Joey, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in the car, and I'm in Nashville. Well, are you in East Nashville or West Nashville? Well, Dad, I'm lost. Okay, so then he proceeds. Well, Joey, what direction are you going? Okay. This is where the intelligence level really decreases. Joey, what direction are you going? Well, Dad, I think I'm going north. Joey, why would you think you're going north? Well, Dad, because I'm going straight. No, Joey, I mean, like, compass-wise, north, south, east, west, which direction are you currently driving? North! Well, Joey, how do you know that? Like, Look at the sun. Is the sun on the right or the left of you as it's setting? Dad, I don't know. Like, I just know I'm lost, and I know that I'm going north because I'm going straight. And Dad said, well, Joey, just because you're going straight doesn't necessarily mean you're going north. And I was like, what? I'm 21. Every time I've looked at the piece of paper, north is up. So if I go up at any point in my life, that's north. So, long story short, it was at that moment that I realized something that, you know, is very trivial, but in, in a spiritual sense is very real, and it's this. When someone is lost, they're lost. And lost people do lost things. I'm lost, so if you ask me where I am, I don't know. I'm lost. If you're expecting an unbeliever, someone who is lost, to not curse, they're lost. They do lost people things. As a believer, I try not to lose my temper. But guess what? I do at times. But for someone who doesn't know the Lord and His patience and His kindness, they don't think there's anything wrong with going off or putting somebody in their place because they're lost. Lost people do lost things. And then the other thing that dawned on me was, maybe I need more than like my sense of directions that came from the piece of paper when I was in geography class. 
So luckily now, my vehicle came equipped with a compass. And guess what? It just tells me S-N-E-W. So I don't have to worry about it. I can always know which direction I'm going. And I say all that to, to end with this. I was telling my friend Tasha, because that's actually whose house I was trying to get to. When I got to her house, she said, well, you know, Joey, in the end, you'll always find yourself somewhere. And I laughed. But as I was thinking of this message for the last couple weeks and really, oh, wrestling with like how to share it and what to say and what to do, that thought just came back to me of her saying that. And the reality is this. In the end, our faith matters. Because the truth is, each of us will find ourselves somewhere. According to our faith and our belief in Jesus, in the end there is a destination. Heaven or hell. And therefore, we're going to find ourselves somewhere. So I want you to kind of keep that in mind. But as we go through the word tonight, I want you to also to expand that thought to the people that you interact with every day. Whether that be friends, whether that be family. In the end, you'll always and they'll always find themselves somewhere. Luke chapter 15. Um, we're going to stay in Luke chapter 15 tonight. So <clears throat> as we jump into Luke, though, I'm going to do it kind of in sections, okay? So just bear with me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 first. Notice something in my Bible. If I turn to Luke chapter 15, okay, there's a little title right there that tells me, like, what I'm about to read about. Does anybody have that? It says the parable of, does anybody else have that? What does it say, the parable of? Okay, look at this. I found this really interesting. So it says the title, but then it takes like a couple of verses to tell us who it's going to teach, and then it starts to tell the story. Do you kind of catch that? Where like every other time there's the title, and then it tells the story. The title, and then it tells the story. And so I was looking, and I was like, wonder why that is. But then I started to kind of read it over and over, and okay, Lord, what are we doing here? So follow me for a second. So Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, the man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. That's crazy to me. Pharisees and teachers, the very people who, in a sense, should know Jesus, should know his teachings, should understand his ways, are like, who is this guy? Like, he eats with sinners. He does stuff with lost people. But the lost, the tax collectors, the sinners, they're gathering around and scurrying around to be like, who is this guy? Let's, let's hear what he has to say. Jesus is teaching, and we read that the very people who, in a sense, like us, should kind of know, okay, this could be him. We should pay attention. 
are the very ones that are mummering and muttering and complaining. But what's crazy to me is, I wonder sometimes today if that's how I sound. That's how we, the church, sound. When we do this little division stuff inside of our groups and inside of our churches and inside of our, you know, our meetings. We mutter and we complain or, you know, there's us four and no more. And it's kind of like we close ourselves off to the people who maybe are lost, are sinners, are tax collectors. Or maybe it comes from those moments when we're like, man, are we singing this song again? We sing this song every week. Like, we could sing of your love forever. And we've been singing it forever. Like, Jesus' love, we get it, it's forever. But what about that one lost person who hears the song and is like, a love is forever? Forever, ever? I wonder sometimes if that's how I sound, if that's how I become. Jesus associated with sinners, so who are we to think that we would ever get to a place where we can't associate with sinners, where we can't be around the lost? So the first point that I want to kind of give to you tonight is this. Remain teachable. I don't know how many of you have heard the little song like, you know, it's the Baba sheep song, I don't want to be a sheep. And then it goes on, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. Don't become a Pharisee. Don't become a Sadducee. Remain teachable. There were things then and there are things now that we can learn. I'll be honest with you, some of my greatest learning moments have been when I listened to Matt speak here at Kyle. Because Matt, I think, has a gift. Matt can talk to, when it comes to the gospel, Matt can talk to and express and explain the gospel in a way that rattles the mind of the most intelligent person in the room, but it also makes sense to the most unlearned and unchurched and not knowing gospel person in the room. And I want that gift. But the great thing is, if I share something in staff meeting, Matt has never been, Jackie has never been like, well, duh, Joey, we know already. Even though my mind is an elementary mind and I'm like a second grader when I learn something. And that's because he and Jackie both, they're teachable. And so guys, I challenge you tonight, as you grow in the Lord, wherever you are now, as you grow in the Lord, remain teachable. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So, there's 100 sheep, one gets lost, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find them. I'll be honest, a few years ago when I read this and I was studying this because we were going through the parables, 
I was like, well, that's like the brownie, you know, of the group. That's sheep. It must be really special because, you know, if I got a hundred friends and one of y'all leave, I'm not going to leave the party to just be like, oh, what's going on with you? Like, what happened? I'm staying with the 99, right? Because if I'm throwing the party and I leave, what's all the other 99 going to do, right? But as I started to really understand the tradition and the custom of the time, Here's what I knew and here's what I learned. Jesus is showing us there that the shepherd could afford to go away to get the 99, I mean to get the one, because there were probably other shepherds that were already there with the 99. Are you following me? So he wasn't the only shepherd in the field with the 100 sheep. It was he and another one and maybe another one. As I studied what they've written there, that there were probably two others. So there were three shepherds in the field together. The one goes away, so one shepherd goes with him to find him or to get him. What I noticed is this. He could only go look for the lost one with confidence because there was another shepherd there to take care of the 99. In Chi Alpha, this is why you constantly hear us in discipleship class, in small groups, in our leadership meetings, we're always encouraging you to build what? Bridges. Build bridges. When you bring someone new to Chi Alpha, build bridges, okay, into their life with other people. Build relationships with them. So that if there is a week when you have to be gone to get the, the one, the 99 that are still here, that person can still have interaction with them. That person still knows some of us. And they still feel comfortable enough to be here. The important thing there is, there was community amongst the shepherds in such a way that if one went astray, he could leave because there was community amongst the shepherds to know these two will stay. I can trust them. And guys, Kyle, we can do great things. We can have awesome fellowship. We can have great worship. But if community is missing, then in a sense we've missed it. Because it takes community in order to be able to shepherd the flock appropriately. There's going to be times when you can't be here, and we're aware of that. But the question is, the people that you have led here, the people that you're pouring into, the people that you have brought here, will they still be able to come based on the relationships that you've helped them build? I noticed this. It also says, if you go back up, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he gets tired? No. Until they don't return his text message. No. Until they stop responding in group me. No. Until it's just annoying. No. Until when? He finds it. That is bizarre to me. I'll be honest with you. There's times I've been like, hey, you want to come? Nah, I ain't trying. Like, I'm not cool with that. And I'm like, okay, done. Never again. Man, how sad is that? This was a sheep. He's talking about, he's sharing a story that's referring to a sheep. Okay, I get it. It's a story. But obviously there's some importance in, in the fact that he puts until... He finds it. 
So I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just the sheep. Like, maybe there's a reason. So then I go and I read the next one, okay? So the point there, build bridges. It's important. Community is a must. It allows you the benefit of going to get the one, but it allows you the comfort of knowing that the 99 are always taken care of. The parable of the lost coin. This is where I was like, oh, okay, there again. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I used to read this, and I would think kind of like I did about the sheep. Well, that coin must have been really important. Like maybe her great, 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 great grandmother gave it to her and she didn't want to lose it. I mean, I'll be honest. If I lose a quarter, I'm like, a quarter. <laughs> like I could have gotten a half of a tenth of a piece of bubble gum. What am I doing? Why did I lose a quarter? So then I was like, well, but it's a coin. Maybe it has to mean like more than just a quarter to me. Oh, so maybe it's like one of those really cool coins. It's like the gold little dollar coin. So it's like really important. But if you really understand here, the coin represents probably one of her ten coins, which made what then was known as her dowry. Okay? And what that is, is it was something that could either be worn like on a chain around her neck, or it could be carried in her purse as a symbol of the fact that she was married. Kind of like a wedding ring today. Okay, I don't have a wedding ring yet, but when the day comes and I have one, if I lose it, y'all can bet. If we're still communicating at that point in life, y'all finna know, because I'm going to need you to pray, and I'm going to need you to help me find it, okay? Because at this point, it took a long time to get it. And it's going to be really important. So when I understand that, I'm like, oh, okay, this had great value to her. And in the event that it wasn't that, the reality is that one coin then was probably a whole day's wage. So either way, it's very significant to her. And every single person is that significant and more. To the Father. I'm no less significant on my bad days, and I'm no more significant on my great days. But I am significant, and so are you, and so are the very people that just don't know the Lord yet. So are the very people that you go in and out of your dorm with, passing by, and because life's busy and the noise is loud and you're just in a hurry, sometimes we never notice. They're significant. But there it was again. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins, loses one, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she sees roaches and she gives up. No, until she finds it. So she searches until she finds it. The shepherd that loses the sheep searches until he finds it. But then this is what stuck out to me. She turned on a lot to help find what was lost. Who would ever think to do that? It's dark. Turn on the light. That'll illuminate the place to help you find what is lost. The same is true in a spiritual sense. 
crazy we're quick to turn on a light, light a candle, ask for a flashlight, power goes out, we've lost something. But how often do we forget that God's word says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. To study and grow in learning about God's word, our heart for the lost and the kindness and the patience and the mercy that he shows to them, we learn about it. And as we read those things, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. That begins to change us. It begins to change our outlook. We begin to walk into rooms and we don't see it as a room full of crowded people. We see it as a room full of souls. And we remember the fact that in the end, everyone finds themselves somewhere. So the third thing is this. Leave your light on. Every day, it's important that you and I find time to be in His Word. Because it's through that that He illuminates to us His character and we can therefore light the room in such a way that we're able to minister to those who don't yet know Him. So they look until they find it. So I was like, okay, maybe it's just the NIV version. So I went and looked in all the other translations. And I even noticed this. When it comes to the parable of the lost coin, there's a comma until she finds it. Here's the deal, y'all. That means the writer could have what? Taken that part off. The writer didn't have to put it there. They could have just put a period. Right? English tells us, okay, comma. Could have just put the period and didn't add the last statement. So there's something significant about the fact that two times Jesus is sharing this story with the people to teach them something. And it ends with the statement, until... It's found, basically. Man, what if we treated the lost in our prayer time that way? 14 years in, man, I'm still trusting God that today will be the day when their eyes are opened. And you think, Joey, that's crazy. No, I've seen it. I've seen and I've heard the prayers of moms and dads who have prayed for years and years and years. And then their son or daughter has come home. Did it get mundane at times? I'm sure. Did it get hard at times? I'm sure. But when I think of that, I think of my friend Dick Brogdon. And I think of something that he said. And it's, it just astonishes me every time. And it challenges me every time. But Dick was speaking at our last World Mission Summit. And he made this statement. He said, I think that the Lord himself gets a different kind of glory and gets a different kind of confidence about himself when he has one of us who can pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. And yet they continue to pray and pray and pray. And still they don't get the answer they want. But still they pray and pray and pray. He said, because you know what I believe happens? I believe that in that moment, it's like God himself is taking an elbow and he's elbowing Satan in the face and he's saying, in all of yours, you have none like that. In all of yours, 
You have none like that. Man, what if my prayer for someone that I know who is lost was that moment when God was able to, in the face of Satan, be like, you have none like that. Because they're not yet found. So, first thing, remain teachable. Second thing, build bridges. Third thing, leave your light on. Final story is this. The parable of the lost son. Some of you may have heard this story. Some of you may have not heard this story. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a far distant country, and there he squandered, he wasted all of his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs, which they were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, but while he was still a long way off, Joey got up to return to her father, and while she was still a long way off, while she was still making mistakes, while she was still not being perfect, even though she still is not perfect, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. For he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. They began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked, What is going on? Your brother has come. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home? You kill the fatted calf for him? Son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's interesting to me that it says, when the father saw him, because no, I don't think that this would allow us to believe that like the sheep and like the coin, 
The father was getting up every day and going places trying to find him. But let's be honest, y'all. I, I'm not a parent. I have some niece. I have a niece and some nephews. If we're outside and they wander off, I'm not just like, all right, cool. I'm I'm going inside and get a bicycle and start riding. They'll eventually come back. No, it's in the forefront of my mind. Like, man, I wonder where they are. I wonder if they're okay. Like, I wonder what's happening. And even though it may continue to the fact that I'm like, okay, well, it's starting to get dark. You know, obviously in today's world, I'd be like, well, we should call the police. Who knows where they are? But that thought never leaves my mind. I may have to continue to go on about my days, but it's there. And I'm constantly praying and I'm expecting that at any moment they're going to what? Come home. So it tells me the father saw him. He obviously had his eyes open and was alert enough to what was around him that he was still anticipating at any moment he can start to make his approach because the father saw him when he was really close. No, he was still afar off. So that says to me there was an anticipation of I better keep my eyes open because at any moment he could return. Imagine the difference that my life could make for the gospel if when I stepped into situations or I walked on the sidewalks of my campus or I went to the grocery store, I was aware of the fact that at any moment I could have the chance to share Jesus with someone who's lost. I don't know the distance of their relationship between them and the Lord, but here's the deal. I'm either one that's like, man, they've interested me in Christ, or I'm stuck up and so busy with my own life and my business and my four and no more that they're like, that's some of the rudest people I've ever met in my entire life. And so oftentimes we forget that our mindset, our thoughts, our attitude, our body language toward people are the very things that can either fire them up and keep them curious about Christ or can become the very thing that turns them off. Man, I want to be like the Father in such a way that whatever situation I find myself in, I'm looking to be like, who is it that could come to know the Lord today? Who is it that could return home to the Father today? Because I can guarantee you this, there was no less excitement in the Father because the Son had come back than there would have been if the Son had essentially just, you know, like never left home but finally made a decision for Christ. And what I'm saying there is this, sometimes we think, well, oh yeah, that's so-and-so, you know, she's already like come back to Jesus twice, she'll just fall away again. No, Scripture shows us that when they return, everybody has a party. And I'm challenged by that because I'll be honest, there are times when I think it is phenomenal that we serve a God who heals people. And I'm so grateful for it. But there are times when I'm more excited and I believe God more for a healing of a physical ailment in a physical body than I do for the spiritual condition of a person's heart. And when I read scripture, I understand that when there is one that comes home, all of heaven has a party. All of heaven has a party when one comes home or one returns. And I'm challenged by that. And it causes me to think, am I as excited for someone when they receive Christ 
as I was for myself when I received Christ for the first time, I think there's reasoning in return to me the joy of my salvation. What if that joy that I had, I could have for others? What if the joy that you had when you first accepted Christ, for those of you that have, what if that was the joy that you had when someone else accepted Christ for the first time or when they returned to the Father for the first time? As we hear this story, many of us are in awe of the Father's love and His gifts. How could He give all of that stuff to the one that came back but the son that was always there said he didn't even get a goat. But here's the thing that's bizarre. <laughs> and it shows you just the like, woe of our God. For those of us who are saved and who have that personal relationship with Jesus, God the Father has already done these very things for us. And here's the craziest part of it. When I was still a sinner... So far out of sight and essentially that if you read this story and you put me in this story, the Father can't yet see me, right? I haven't even made the turn to where I'm running to get home yet. I'm just a sinner. But God the Father made the choice that for me he would kill the fatted calf. His son Jesus. He took the cross and bore my sins and my shame so that I could have relationship with God the Father. So much so that he did it in such a way that just like the father here, he didn't chase me down and make me do it. But he was expecting that at any moment, one day, one moment in my life, I would make that decision. Much like the father here. He kept looking, he kept waiting, and he kept pursuing, expecting that I would come back. But it doesn't stop there. He gives us the robe. It's one of righteousness. And for it, he takes our filthy rags and our sins. He gives us the ring. The ring symbolizes authority. As we accept Jesus, he also has told us he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to give us authority. With the name of Jesus, we have authority over all things. We have the ability to make disciples. We can discern good from evil. We have the power to drive out demons in the name of Jesus. We have the authority that can move mountains. We have the authority that can heal the sick. We have the authority that can make the blind see and the lame well. But sometimes we're so mute. To even use the authority. But then he doesn't stop there. The father in the story gives the son sandals, right? He puts shoes on his feet. God the Father has done the same for us. And here's how. Tradition teaches us that in those times, if a person was without shoes, they were unclaimed. In a sense, they were like an orphan. They didn't belong to anyone. But if a person had sandals or shoes, Someone had claimed them. Someone had taken care of them. Someone was helping them, in a sense, looking out for them. I'm sure that I find in Scripture that there's a prayer that's prayed when I put on the armor and it says that He shods my feet with the gospel of peace. 
and that he's called me his own once I've accepted Jesus, his son, as Lord. So if we look at the story and we're left in awe of like, man, that's bizarre. I then have the very right to look in the mirror and see myself and think, man, that's bizarre. A father's love so great that he would do all those things for me when I was still so far off. But the moment I came home, I got it all. And yeah, I may mess up and I may miss it, but man, the moment I come to my senses and I'm like, Lord, why did I do that? I'm so sorry. Kill the fatty calf. Heaven, pause. She's come back. And guys, sometimes we read scripture and we're like, yeah, that's a cute little story. But scripture is the inspired word of God. It's true. It happens. It is now. It is present tense. When there is one that comes home, there is a celebration. And we cannot forget that. Have a party is the fourth thing. Never get to the place in your spiritual journey with Jesus that you've walked with him so long, you forget to celebrate the spiritual birthday of someone else. Always be willing to celebrate someone else's salvation. The other thing that we see in this story is the behavior and the attitude of the older brother. When I'm back home, we have state. It kind of works like this. I'm the only kid that lives away from home, so it works out really well. When I go home, they're like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And then like two hours later, I get on everybody's nerves, and they're like, yay, when are you going to go back? You know, my brothers and I are arguing. It's the same thing. Dad has this weird statistic. He's like, Statistics say within 37 minutes of you being with your siblings, you revert back to your childhood behavior. I'm like, Dad, who knows this kind of stuff? Like, you just sit in your room and be like, my kids argue, why? But there are times we have steak. It could also be I don't have it here because it can't grill. But the thing I've noticed is Mom, she always, she'll get the steak, and I'll get home, but the steak are like, it'll be like Friday. They're already in the refrigerator in this little container, and it's like, ooh, what's in there? And I open it, thinking it's like, cake. No, it's like raw meat, but it has all this stuff on it. And I'm like, ooh, well, it kind of smells good, but kind of not. They're marinating. And I'm sure y'all are like, duh, I knew where you were going. But here's the deal. That's the purpose of being the older one in faith, in a sense. Not maybe by numbers in your age, but numbers of years that you've walked with Jesus. Because the longer that you've walked with Jesus, the more your heart should have been marinating and should have been being prodded by the Spirit. Just like mom, when she takes the meat, she like pokes it with a fork a bazillion times. And I'm like, hmm, why do you do that? And she's like, well, it opens up the, the steak. It makes it porous enough to absorb the stuff that I pour on it. And it keeps it tender. My submission to the Lord every day in prayer and in reading His Word allows the Holy Spirit the opportunity to prod my heart and to make me aware of the very people around me that I need to pray for. Or that moment that I'm like, oh, that's who that, that the Lord gave me that word of encouragement for. So marinate your heart. There's nothing worse than someone who is super old in the faith but is the least mature of all of us. And I don't want to be that way, guys. 
I, I've seen, I'll be really honest with you, and I'll be personal for a second, I've seen, and I'm seeing currently in my own family right now, the sadness of an older brother situation. The sadness of, man, the younger brother, like he's, he's struggling, he's making some mistakes, and a heart that is so hard, and is so Pharisee-like, and is so religious, that he just can't grasp grace. For my brother. And then there's that Pharisee part of me that's like, dude, chill out. You're so hard-hearted and you're so stupid. And then I'm like, oh, and so am I. But guys, the point of having relationship with Jesus is that we grow in it and that we become more Christ-like and that we mature in such a way that our heart marinates in his word and in worship and in prayer so much over and over and over that it's tender enough to the very things that he responds toward. Because the whole point is to be Christ-like. That's what being a Christian is. So if we are, like Francis Chan says, if we're irked by or we're annoyed by the thought of evangelism, why did you choose Christianity? We were once what we're supposed to go love. If somebody had never loved us, we would have never been in the position we're in. I want you to take notice of the seats in this room. There's a seat on the stage. We would all agree that that seat is full or empty. It's empty. There are plenty of seats in this room that are empty. I'll be honest, there are times I walk in and it's hard as a campus pastor. In Alabama, it absolutely used to consume me to the point I'd be like, if I sit this chair here and this chair here, there's exactly 48 chairs. So if people aren't here and people aren't here, then there's only, you know, 22 people here. I failed. But then the Lord really kind of just revolutionized my thinking to where there was a night I'll never forget. I walked in. And I was like, the chair. And then it hit me. Man, what if I started to see empty chairs as a symbolic reminder of that lost person or those lost people, two or three, that I'm trusting the Lord for? So much so to the fact that when I come in Chi Alpha, I see the faces of students that I've never met yet, by faith, believing that God will bring them here, so that they will eventually come to the place where they have relationship with Him. So tonight, remain teachable, build bridges, leave your light on, have a party, and marinate your heart. But we're going to close a little bit differently tonight. We're going to have some music, we're going to have some worship. And I want you to remember, in the end, we all find ourselves somewhere. In the end, we're not lost. There is a reality of heaven or hell for all of us. But I want you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to do something. It'll be a little awkward, so everybody stand as Jackie's coming. And I'm going to ask you, if you would... Be kind to me and make this really easy.
Pastors don't like it when their altar calls fail. Okay, I'm just being really honest. Find somewhere where it's just you and a couple of empty seats. So get somewhere where there are not people beside of you on your left or beside of you on your right. And as you're walking there, I want you to start asking the Lord. Maybe you already know. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. And for some of you, maybe it's you. But I want us to close our eyes and I want us to bow our heads. I'm giving you the challenge from this day forward to never look at an empty seat the same way again. Whether it be your lecture class, whether it be here at Chi Alpha, whether it be a restaurant, whether it be a movie theater, whether it be the boardroom of some company that you work for one day, I'm challenging you to let that empty seat remind you that should the Lord continue to tarry and not return yet, there is one that still needs relationship with him.